would have been absolutely 100% of the time in the center of the field. Mm -hmm. Now they're out wide, but they're still doing the jo same job that was done in the center. The whole offense runs through them, get them the ball, and let them dictate the whole game. Yeah, and, and we'll probably differentiate a little bit when we talk about wingers in an episode because they are very different types of players. I strongly recommend everybody go watch a match and just focus on Lionel Messi. Um, he does this, he has this really unique characteristic where he just kind of waddles around the field like a penguin. And it looks like he's being lazy, but what he's doing is he's letting the play evolve around him. And if he's not anywhere, nobody really knows where he's going to be. So everybody. Hello and welcome to the Section 109 podcast from Studio Breezy with Mix, Toby, and Matthew. What's up? It's me, Breezy. Hold on. Hey. That is a wonderful fine bottle of twist-off wine from the grocery <laughs> store. And we're going to pour ourselves a glass of wine and talk about wingers and the nine and, you know, the forward line, the attacking band, as we've dubbed them. The attacking band. The, so, best, the best band in this... Uh, in, in this music hall. Uh, my favorite band from this year um, that scored 50 goals. Like, let's, let's fucking go. Darn right. But let's talk first about what this series is. So this series is a series. It's how to be a soccer nerd. It's something we haven't done in a few months. Um, <laughs> but now we're back at it. And in the past, we've done the Crazy Eights podcast, talking about the eights, the sixes. Gosh, I kind of wish we would have played a season before talking about this. I feel so much worse about our projections, but also like, you know, whatever. Um, we talked about tens, we talked about goalkeepers, and we've talked about defenders. And now we're going to kind of sew up the traditional uh, positions, at least in modern football or modern soccer, I should say. So Matthew, while I pour you a uh, nice glass of wine, tell me about positional numbers, the sevens, elevens, Tens, which we've already talked about, but kind of apply a little bit here, and nines. So you've got uh, the number nine. Uh, if you if you're here, if you hear the number nine being referred to for a positional number, nice. Uh, that's your striker. Uh, in in the in the formation. Thank you, sir. In the uh, in the formation numbering system, you've got your left winger is an eleven, your right winger is a seven, and your nine is the the kind of center focal point attacker. Uh, and then your 10 is the furthest forward midfielder, if you'd like. In the 4-3-3, at least. In the 4-3-3, and uh, which is how this, that's just how the, the numbers were. That's just how the numbers were given when they were given. There it is. Cheers. That did not sound like these were real wine glasses. <laughs> and they, they kind of are. Kind of. Only kind of. So the reason the 10s apply here, and we talked about this in the last episode we did on the 10. And the reason they apply, and the reason it matters, is because in the modern game, traditional wingers, which we'll talk about momentarily, um, aren't very common. And they've been replaced in large part by inverted wingers, which we'll talk a lot about, yep. and wide forwards, and wide tens. So some of your best players in the world, the classic ten that played in the middle of the field, and again, we talked about this last episode, um, that just sat in the middle of the field and dictated play and pulled all the strings and didn't play any defense, it's not very common anymore. Um, arguably there's only a couple of those in the world where those players play. They don't play centrally like the previous 10 did. They play out wide. Yeah. You're a Lionel Messi, a Neymar, 
Uh, and there are different other players that play that as well. Papu Gomez um, in the past for Atalanta has actually played that role centrally. But there's just not many classic 10s anymore. But there's wide creators, creative wide players. So the 10 kind of still exists in this conversation a little bit. We're going to try to talk mostly about wingers, but there yeah. are players. Well, you and like, let me just bring up real real quick. If you're trying to think of a player from from the 2022 CFC roster that kind of fits this bill, it's Ian Saro. Ian Saro is, is a classic 10. Uh, played but, played as a free eight. Yes, and uh, because our our eights and tens were were kind of the same thing for a lot of the season. But you'll I'll note that you started the season playing also centrally, but also sometimes out wide as that kind of creative out wide force. And uh, now there's like the general caveat when talking about CFC that like positions are just like starting places. And and you play you play a certain way. The coaching staff, Rod Underwood's team, all all of his teams are designed to play, or their players are supposed to play uh, in a certain way for a specific part of the field they happen to be in in that moment. And what did Rod say? A central midfielder, or a I know I think he said a right back has to be able to play right back, right winger, yep, center back, yep, and right back as well as center midfielder. Correct. But they it's have, for how they have, to have the qualities of all the qualities those things, of all those end up in in those positions. But it's how. The of a game. But he did say like they have to be able to play it for a certain amount of time. That amount of time kind of changes and varies based on how you're playing because you don't have to play for a winger like as a winger, excuse me, for the whole game. You don't have to be able to play as a center back the whole game or a center midfielder. But you need to be able to for small periods of time play that position and have yeah. those. And this applies for our wingers as well. And so we've talked a lot on this podcast about how we shifted from wide tens, so to speak, in a Christmas tree formation this season to playing with wingers. Um, and Ian Saro then played, became an eight out of that. Yeah. Um, and not not so much a 10 or a winger, but he would be one of those. Um, so let's talk first. Let's back up just a little bit. Um, and let's go and talk about what a traditional winger is. A traditional, a traditional winger. Traditional winger. In, in, in like a in a four three three, pretty much this, the way we're building these like archetypes are yeah. kind of in a four three three. It's it's the classic, um, most used formation in of the of modern times probably, and it's what is easiest to explain out of because what we play. So a traditional winger, uh, in in the way I w- I want to describe it is a a winger that either either on the left or on the right. That is oftentimes, but I guess not exclusively, uh, right-footed if they're playing on the right or left-footed if they're playing on the left. And it's it's not a player that you'll see uh, dribble and then cut inside. They are most often going to try to create space by dribbling towards the outside, uh, trying to get to to the the byline, to the touchline, to be able to then serve a, a ball, serve a cross back across goal. Uh, they are not. They they typically are trying to dribble away from traffic so they can then serve a ball in, not dribble into traffic to try to destabilize the defense from within. Okay, and now an invert. So that's a traditional winger. They stay wide. They cross the ball. Yeah. They they occupy those wide channels. What is an inverted winger? An inverted winger is, is just the opposite of that. They are trying to receive a ball out wide, and then head towards the goal. Uh, in a more, I would say, in a more direct fashion, uh, because like if you receive the ball out wide, let's say you're on the edge of, uh, let's say you're on the edge of the 18, 
and in kind of a wider and that's the box that goes around for yeah. anyone who's trying to picture it in their mind. It's the big box, the goalkeeper's box that goes around, not the little box, but the big one. And they pick up the ball on the edge of the eighteen, uh, kind of in a wider channel. They are they are looking. If, if a traditional winger would look at that and say, "I'm not even going to dribble into the box. I'm just going to stay on the outside of the box to try to whip a ball in." Or if I do dribble into the box, it's going to be next to the byline, like next to the end line, and trying to get with my. So if I'm on the left side with my left foot to cross across the goal, I'm not going to stop and cut back. Yeah. So the the inverted winger is, is trying to like go a little yes, bit more direct towards the goal, but oftentimes they'll be shifting further yes. and further to, towards the center of the field. Right, because the traditional winger is staying wide. And whether and the, that's for a whether that's for a shot, whether that's for a pass, uh, like their their purpose, generally speaking, is to is to bring the ball with their feet towards the center of the field and be dangerous for a shot. So if you yes. if you are left footed and being pushed wide on the left side, so you're going further and further wide left, the the angle you have to shoot at is much much smaller. Whereas if you're being pushed wide as a right footer, and when you cut back on your right foot, which we saw Taylor Gray do a ton this year, right? Yes. Cut back on his right foot. When you cut back on your right foot, you then have a better shooting angle. The further you cut to your strong side, your right with your dominant foot, the better your angle to shoot gets and the more dangerous it becomes. If you're on the left side. If you're on the left side. So that's the difference between a traditional and inverted winger. In fact, when we were prepping for this podcast, we had a tough time coming up with modern day and we... we the World Cup just happened, so we thought we'd bring in some World Cup players to compare some examples. We struggled to come up with a lot of traditional wingers from this World Cup in the modern day. There's just, it's not very common. Those, Whereas the inverted wingers are like, a, when I say a dime a dozen, I don't mean unimportant, but there's so many examples. Yeah. I mean, inverted wingers are now the norm in in modern football in a way that they just weren't. Oh, I mean, why does Rod Underwood have cut inside as his uh, <laughs> yeah. Twitter handle? Like, I would guess he, based on who he's played and how he's played, he he values players who can cut inside from that wing. Not maybe not just from that wing, but inverted wingers. Yeah, well, and it it just opens it opens the door as well to involve the outside back in in the attack because if you have a winger that cuts in, there's going to be space outside. Which can be filled, uh, and and oftentimes will be filled by by an own overlapping run from an outside back. Absolutely, which we saw, uh, we saw not this year as much, but we saw in the past when you play a five man and you have wing backs, which we talked about yeah. in the previous episode. Yeah. That wing back, like James Kasak, can get super wide. If you imagine, if James Kasak had been here this year, yeah, uh, he would have been very dangerous with Taylor Gray cutting in and James Kasak overlapping. And and if you're wondering why why it matters, like. Who the like? Because in, in in both of these scenarios, whether you have an, an inverted winger laying the ball to an out to an overlapping outside back, or if you have a traditional winger that is getting to the byline themselves for the cross, and you're wondering like, does it really matter? The answer oftentimes is no. One of the reason wh- why, however, uh, inverted wingers and overlapping outside backs is in vogue right now, is because teams are using the outside back getting forward for the service as a way of getting an extra player, the inverted winger who continues his run into the box so that more players are in the box, uh, more defend or they have to have the defending team has more, more players that they have to pick up and mark. And it means that there's more likely a chance that one of the attacking players can get free for a, for a shot. And there's that ball comes. There are many more very, very talented attacking outside backs now in modern football. Yeah. Um, And so you just see that I keep saying modern football, modern soccer. Um, I don't, I'm not, (laughs) I don't have to say football. Um, Okay. Let's, let's cover what a wide forward is. 
So this is a thing that is still exists, and it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, like wide forwards, and then like some uh, there's some like overlap in wide forward. But a wide forward would be to me a player that's not a traditional winger that maybe is more of a goal scoring player. So you look at Ronaldo, not Ronaldo currently, and not Ronaldo in his peak prime when he was like 25. Yeah. But Ronaldo in his early 30s was much more of a, or, or maybe mid-30s, before he kind of fell off a cliff athletically, was a wide forward. He was a guy who would come in and score goals from out wide and get shots from out wide. Not a lot of passing from out wide. It's not, not just Ronaldo, not a, not but like passing, not yeah. a lot of passing. So in the in the World Cup, um, a couple examples we had um, of a wide, or the only example, excuse, uh, we had two, sorry, was Rashford. Um, who's very much a wide forward. He gets yeah. played out on the wing, but I think he's more of a forward. He oftentimes will start out on the wing, but and and can do some of that that tradi- like that weird winger stuff. But like Rashford, when he is good, is closer to the box. Sometimes, sometimes wide forwards. Maybe, maybe here's the biggest difference between wide forwards and and like regular regular nines forwards is just like they both can be really good in terms of goals and assists and and, and play around the box. But oftentimes they need to start, whether it's a run uh, with the ball or without the ball, from further outside and maybe from a wider position. Maybe that, that that's the biggest differentiator. Sure, for me, I'm, I like that. And then again, we've already talked about tens who play out wide. So let's let's talk about a couple things here, um, a couple like examples. So for fun, we we have fun players listed here. Okay, so <laughs> Di Maria. Now Di Maria is a classic inverted winger normally. Normally. However, in the World Cup final, if you watch the World Cup final, Argentina played Di Maria basically as a traditional winger, a left-footed player playing on the left side, just cutting in and and being an absolute menace from the space on the left side. Yeah. He was like a traditional winger when he's not, but like he played as a traditional winger in the his, his whole career has mostly been spent cutting in on that, you know, on that foot. On that left foot, but in this case, he was a tr- more of a traditional on that winger in, on that angelic left foot. At the same time, in that same game, you had Kylian Mbappe, who was silent for eighty minutes and then went <laughs> Super Saiyan for the rest of the game. And he is, while he is an all-around everything, you could call him a wide, wide forward if you wanted. He's very much a classic. In, and you could call him a he could play the nine and run the channel. He plays the nine for PSG, right? He runs the channels. Yeah, but for France. He played. He played, he played the nine for France when once they made the substitutions to to bring Olivier Giroud and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and someone else off. Fair point. Fair point. But when he's in space on the left side, he is very much an inverted winger. And that second goal he scores, the only one he scored from the run of play, the other two were penalties. That first time ball yeah. he hits with his right foot, that is the definition of why you want a right footed player out wide yeah. to the because if he has that with his left foot. It changes the trajectory and angle that he's shooting at, and maybe he still scores, but it's a much hard. It's a hard. But it's a world class goal. So it's all, <laughs> like, let me be really clear. It's a really tough goal to score in any case, but because he's right footed, the angle he takes makes it perfect for him to be able to get it around yeah. and through Emmy Martinez. And the other side of it, if he's left footed, he probably can't get around that ball that same way. Um, it's just the angle is is that way. Uh, another um, traditional winger in this um, tournament was. Very much Timothy Weah playing on the right side for the U.S. One of the few, I would argue. Yeah, he played very direct, and Timmy can cut in some, but he's right-footed. He did. A, he got to the line, and he crossed the ball, and he drove and got to the line several times and, and put in dangerous balls. And he's yeah, much more of a traditional winger. Often, oftentimes, I I think watching some of the U.S. games, uh, one of Timmy's best qualities 
in in regular no let's leave out some of the goals but in in regular play was being able to receive the ball on the right hand side drive with the ball you kind of against the touchline and and maybe not going anywhere like you know dangerous immediately but what it did do is drop the defense which allowed space for someone like a Weston McKinney to who was marauding up the right hand side up in the right channel a bunch from midfield it allowed him to kind of join in the attack. And a lot of U.S. attacks got pretty dangerous, when even, Sir, when, even with way like, out, out of the play, by dropping some sort of square ball. With uh, Serginho Dest, Wea, and McKenney making up a, a triangle there. two of those three guys would always be involved after that pass was played slightly, slightly further inside. A couple other fun, kind of fun players from the World Cup to talk about. Uh, Depay was... Very interesting in this World Cup because he played a lot of different positions. Cody Gakpo, the same Cody, way. Cody Hakpo, I think is uh, how the Hak- Dutch. Hakpo. 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 <laughs> uh, the Dutch, man. Um, it's, it's a tough language. Hickam Ziyech? Yeah. Ziyech was like, or however you say his name from Morocco, was the definition of a wide 10, um, I think. Like he created, he the whole offensive creativity ran through him. When they got the ball out, the goal was not that different from a lot of nations who just with all due respect to Morocco, like they have one player who stands above all the rest technically and, and like creatively. And it's, it's Ziyech. Like he is an unbelievable player. And so the goal offensively becomes get the ball to him and then we'll all join in, but get him the ball in space. And the best place to do that is out on the right wing. And he would cut in on his left foot and which which would allow, um, Ashraf Hakimi, yep, who, to overlap, who actually might, but probably is the best player on that team from right back. Yeah, but not not the most creative. Correct. Player. Yeah. yeah, but but it, it, like those two working in tandem together, uh, especially when it when they kind of went to this like three five ish two, but like it was more of like like a three, more of a, like a three four three, uh, with Ziek being the the right kind of the right winger ish player that would was always like cutting in to be. The creative force and Akimi was the, the was the um, the right wing back. You have two incredibly well the, the two the, honestly the two best attacking players, even though one of them's an outside back uh, for club, like in in the country's maybe the country's history, like on the same side of the field at the same time. And so you know working on overloads, working on combination play, allowed Morocco to just be so dangerous and such an, an exciting part of the tournament. Um, and it was really, really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he was also, so he was a wide 10 in this tournament in general. He's an inverted winger, right? Like he's a guy who cuts in from the outside and tries to get on that left foot and shoot from that right winger position, the very opposite of a Kylian Mbappe on the left. But he was just a very, very, he was a brilliant, like player to watch all tournament. Oh yeah. And a really, really good example of what a, a wide creative 10 can be or a, or inverted winger, depending on what he was trying to do. Yeah. And he, and he, in like in his example specifically, he struggles to get on the field for Chelsea a lot of times. Yep. And it's really fun. One of the things I like about the world cup um, is you get some of these players that are really, really good and they're at big clubs. And for whatever reason, it's not working for them at that time. And playing for country allows them to a, a chance to really just show out and show what they can do. And like I think I've talked about this on this podcast a lot, uh, not necessarily and maybe in the soccer, soccer nerd episodes, but when you get to be that level and, and honestly, when you get to be at, at, at CFC's level, it's just, it's, it's different, right? Players are oftentimes like they're here for a reason. Like they're, they're decent. And oftentimes for me, 
It's about fit and system and how they what what they're good at and what they're not good at matches up with what the coach wants the the team and the style of, of play and the style of players around them. Um, it, it's all about fit for me. So, yeah, watching watching Ziek was was something else. Absolutely. So, who from CFC has played these positions? So, let's talk about some wide forwards, wingers for CFC. Now, when Matthew and I were doing this um, this pre-show, we were trying to figure out like what years CFC played with actual wingers in. And to be honest, it's not many years. Yeah, if you think about the, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just write off 2009 through about 2013. Uh, but if you think back to any, why are you writing those off, Matthew? Because they were a really long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I'll be honest. I wasn't watching at that time, so I can't make any educated decisions. Really, and I think you really, might have been so drunk you didn't watch those games either. Yeah, really. 2013. Uh, what it, 2013 through 2016 was the year of the the four four bill. Uh, the kind of diamond in midfield. So like you had central midfielders. Uh, the the two the two central midfielders on the side of the diamond were responsible for width, but also we were keeping up a presence in the middle of the field. Outside backs were also responsible for width. Uh, these kind of things just all all happened at the same time. And occasionally one of the forward one of the two forwards would be peeling out wide and, and running the channels when it made sense. But there wasn't there wasn't a, a really a winger in that in that group. Uh, then you get to 2017 and the main formation that year was a 3-5-2. Uh, three center backs, two wing backs, oftentimes two forwards and a and a a 10 and then a double pivot. Um so not really uh sometimes sometimes they ran it in terms of like a 3-4-3 three, three, uh with two maybe wide forwards, two, but oftentimes like I think about Felipe Antonio and John Carrier acted more like tens uh in some ways with that with that system. It was kind of it was kind of a weird one. Felipe Antonio, that is a throwback, <laughs> man. That makes me so happy. Uh, and twenty eighteen was was I'd call it a, a four, two, three, one. Uh but we can we can get which we, we can where, get where you can play the, you can play wingers four, three, three. or you can play uh, in a four-two-three-one, you can play wingers, or you can play wide tens or wide forwards, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, and that was kind of when we saw like Felipe Oliveira in that period of time, those years there. Like that was our not our first winger, but like that's kind of the first modern era winger for CFC. Yeah, Joe Acosta, kind of a I, I would classify more of as, as a wide forward. Uh, he played a, a lot of so he played a lot of winger. So when he played on the wing, yeah, he played it as a wide forward. Yeah, I would I would argue. I I, I think so. His best attribute, uh, and it, by the way, it still continues to be, he's still very fast, is breakneck speed. Yeah. Both quickness and straight line speed. He has both. Um he has especially has straight line speed, like overall top speed, but his quickness is still if you remember playing FC Dallas and he beat them and almost scored, like he beat them down the field and almost scored like the first in the first few minutes. First couple minutes. And yeah. then and from, that was the end of the high line. From then on, they were like, Nope, we're gonna drop two players deep and they they doubled him the whole game. And that is actually what allowed us, I think, to be decent against FC Dallas and, and eventually tie them because we like he provided that space because they couldn't cheat up uh, athletically and they, and they couldn't pin us in but that was him playing as a as a as a nine which we'll get to more talking about more about a nine but he played the winger like you play the like he played the nine which is to get his best attribute uh which was 
scoring goals and be really, really, really fast. Um, But he wasn't like a traditional winger where he'd get to the byline and cross it or even cut in only on his right foot and then shoot from the left side. He was... Joe Acosta was... He he either did one of... like His best moves were were those two things. He'd beat you on the left and cross it or he'd cut inside and take a shot or or pass it or, or, or cross, you know, kind of do a kind of a... um, a, uh, an in ball, but his his goal wasn't to be like a traditional winger, which yeah. was to like yeah. I'm going to do this thing. Like he he just played it like a forward playing out wide, he, and that is not a that is not a slight. He played it very very well. Yeah, I, I think when I when I think about uh, how I classify a wide forward as someone who can provide goals and assists, but need like and, but and like, more goals and, than and, assists. And, yes, more goals than assists, and has those has those you know striker qualities, but the needs to start out you know wider and higher. Before joining in, like you know, the the for the regular forward movements, I think of Joao Costa in that kind of way. Don't don't forget, in the ten game Members Cup in two thousand nineteen, won the Golden Boot with six goals, playing from the left sided winger, playing from the left sided winger. What would you classify Taylor Gray as from this year, a year we played with actual wingers? So, I think at the beginning of the year, you'd call him a wide a wide ten, because. He was one of the, he was one of like the two tens, starting centrally, drifting out wide, trying to, to get into in the, into the attack that way. I think, and 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 Rod talked about this on on the podcast when we had him on uh, a month ago or or so ago, that Taylor was getting lost when he started centrally and drifted wide a little bit, like just out of the flow of play a little bit, and, and wasn't as dangerous. And so they had him start wide. And brought him, allowed started him wide so that he would join the play by coming in, um, by 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 coming into the to the middle in, inside. Start wide, drift in, right? Instead of so, instead of starting in, drifting wide. So I think I would put him in the wide forward category now because what we saw this year, he had eight goals, uh, only two assists, but he had eight goals. He was he was dribbly, he was direct. Um, and he, I mean, he was our, he was truly our second threat, our second goal threat. And uh, he has played at points in his career before coming to CFC as a forward, as a a 10, as a winger. And I think we saw, I think we saw him at, at his best as, as a wide player who can and does join in, uh, in the attack as, as a, a true secondary option. Um, and and I think if you if we if we had to play a two striker system, he's if, your he's if, your second if, striker. If we had to, yeah. If we chose to play two strikers, he's, your, he's yeah. your second striker along with Marcus. And by the way, when we went down a man at Syracuse, we shifted the formation to have essentially be like like a four three two, with Marcus and Taylor up top. So I would call him a whiteboard. I agree with all of that. Uh, I was going to try to pick some holes in that, but I, I cannot. I agree with those. What would you call, Matthew, Brett Jones? I think if you play Brett on the left-hand side, he's an inverted winger. I think if you are looking at the way he played for most of 2022 with us, uh, he would be more of a traditional winger on that right-hand side. Yeah, very much a, a tale of two seasons for Brett because I feel like he was a wide forward slash inverted winger. Um by that, I mean like he was a goal threat inverted winger on the left side, right? Just cutting in on that right foot, dangerous to score, going in and, and looking for that shot all all season. And then you come to 2022 
where he was a nine for a brief part of the season. Yep. And then just was basically the, not the out and out starting right wing because it rotated just a little bit, but for the most part, he was a starting right winger for the rest of the season and was a very much traditional winger. Yeah. I mean, like he, he would occasionally cut inside, uh, but it, that normally ended up being more about possession than anything else. His goal threat or, or the team's goal threat when it came from the right-hand side was often Brett Jones beating somebody and getting uh, to a the very, byline a dangerous for, for a ball back. Yeah, and it was it was interesting. So like I would agree with you that Taylor Gray, just based on his numbers, becomes a wide forward because he scores a bunch of goals and doesn't assist as much. And maybe we'll see in 2023 that he is he, he adds that to his game, right? More assists. But for now, he was a... There was a certain point in the season he had six goals, zero assists. Yeah. And like... He could have finished the season if he finished the season at that point. Like I know that's not fair, but like, he finishes at that point. Like you're just a striker playing out on the left side. Yeah. And you look at uh, you look at Brett on the other hand, who had I think between your favorite uh, MLS assists and regular, <laughs> I think he had eight, right, four and four. Uh, I'd have to look because it's it's been a couple months now since I've I've looked at that kind of stuff. But he had a few goals, but he had he a had, bunch of assists. Two, he had two goals and. Uh, so like several assists, four or five, and also another like three to five somewhere in their hockey assists. Yeah, meaning that he became really, really creative and on the right side as more of a traditional provider, which is very interesting. Yeah, I think. Um, few more of these. John Carrier. Both may remember <laughs> that's John a, Carrier. That's a what would you call John Carrier? Uh, a, a kind of a do everything squirrel. I, I would call him a do-everything-wide-ten. Uh, he was just really, really industrious and much more defensive, right? He, much more of a defensive yeah, winger he, who did he a lot of defensive goes, work. But. He probably goes in the wide-ten category for me. He was one of those outside... Uh, uh, he, he was oftentimes like that right-channeled ten, or right-channeled right, right midfielder in the diamond. Uh, he played a little bit of ten. He played a little bit of winger. Uh, wide... Yeah, wide tens probably for me is, is what I'm is what I'm looking for for carrier. Cameron Woodfin. Uh depends on where you played him. <laughs> was he was but he a, different than different than Brett, but a same type of thing. So if you played him on the left side, I would say he he played a little bit more like a traditional uh, inverted winger, not traditional winger, excuse me, a more, more inverted winger, but a ten. He was a ten playing the winger spot. When you played him on I, the right I'd side, call, I'd call him a wide ten if he was on the left, and I'd call him a traditional winger when he was on the right. And I think one of the reasons why he played a lot of wing back for us, and even occasionally uh, just full on outside back uh, in a in a couple of pinches, uh, is because of that traditional winger quality. Like he could, uh, he he could beat a man and 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 get to the byline for a cross and and do some things like that. Like some of those winger skills. Um, he could also, in his heyday, which we talked about in one of our previous episodes, just provide creativity and that final pass from out wide as well. Wide or central. Or central. But, but as a 10, playing out wide, like yeah. even as a right winger, he provided, yes, the traditional winger, I completely agree, but he also provided some of that creative 10 outlets when he was at his best out wide, a, a la, and I'm not comparing Cam Whiffin to Messi, but like the way Messi like provides the outlet when he's playing out wide for whenever he plays out wide, he does not always play out wide. But when he does play out wide, whether it was for Barcelona, whether it's been when he drifts out wide for Argentina or drifts out wide for PSG, he provides the creative outlet and the danger outlet yeah. out wide. He's right-footed, but he's not a traditional winger. I would, Neither is Cam Woodfin. I also think there's a, there's a reasonable argument to make here that Cam Woodfin actually kind of played, when he was the left-sided winger, he played more of a traditional winger 
even though he was, I mean, he's got a decent left foot. Uh, but one of one of the things Cam was really good at was because he was right footed. Everyone just assumed when he was playing left wing that he would end up, you know, getting onto his right foot and 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 doing something with it that way. And oftentimes he was really good if he just uh, attacked the the, the byline uh, and used some of that, that that kind of hesitation where the defender is just waiting for him to go right to just go by him on the left side and then serve a ball in. Uh, Pipe, on the other hand, which we mentioned earlier, very much a right, left, right-footed player, a right-footed player that played on the, and he would, he, you knew he was going to go right, but you didn't know when, you just didn't yeah. know when. Um, all right, but all, t- like, Pipe, Pipe is an interesting one too because like he was an inverted winger, but also kind of a second striker, kind of a false nine. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about false nine and. Uh, and second strikers. So types of nine. So just transitioning into, and this is the attacking band, right? It can all be a little bit fluid. Um, if you remember, Mark has actually played some minutes or at, at like the right wing a tiny bit uh, in, late in some games um, with with Brian Beamett playing up top, them trying to like play some sort of two striker system. You can uh, often oftentimes on the left. On the left, if it had to happen. Yeah. Okay. My my point being is that you can put a guy that we traditionally think of as a forward out wide to do some forwardy jobs. Um, but let's talk about what those forwards normally do. So types of nine. Target man is, is a, a category here. Yep. A run the channels nine. A false nine, which we're going to struggle to explain because it's it's rare and a lot of people talk about it, but the actual implementation of it is not common. And the second nine and a poacher. And these are not all inclusive, but this is what we're going with for our, our best in, <laughs> our best intents, our best... Uh, um, our best attempt, best excuse me. In, intents and purposes. Intents and purposes, yes, yes. So uh, let's do this backwards. Let's talk, for, well, but first talk about who they, uh, let's talk about the the positions and what they do, and let's talk about some CFC players that played them, okay. played those positions. So target man. What's a target man, Matthew? A target man is your traditional number nine. Uh, if you ever hear that referred to. It, by an English speaker. By an, yeah, it's an, it's an English it's a very England centric thing. Correct. Uh, your target man is how football should be played. Yeah, it's it's how football should be played. It's uh, it's it's not really though. Your 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 target man is someone who often plays uh, with their back towards goal. So uh, because, why would you turn your back towards goal, Matthew, if you want to score? Because you need to receive the ball that's being air mailed to you from the goalie or from a defender, and need to be able to see the ball come down. <laughs> Airmailed is a wonderful, wonderful descriptor of that. Uh, sorry, I, I, all I was thinking about in that moment was was back to uh, was back to like playing kickball uh, in elementary school, where if you didn't like if, if the person like rolling you the ball was bad, which we were in elementary school, so they were always bad. Uh, I think we had certain rules every now and then that like, allowed you to like just take the ball and kick it yourself, and, and airmail was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that for you too? Yep, yep. I don't remember all the rules, but I have the same. I okay. have the same. I have the same memory. So that, yeah, that was a trip down memory lane we didn't all need. And this is because the English, before they let Europeans into England, didn't know and still wouldn't know if they hadn't let other Europeans in how to play soccer. <laughs> They're just like kick it long. Yeah, and by the way, I, I think somewhere the English Route One style. Uh, when you was, say route one, what do you mean? Route one is the fastest way to get the ball towards goal is to kick it towards the goal immediately. <laughs> like from wherever you are, be it the goal ge- goalkeeper or maybe a defender, you launch it. Uh, 
you, you just boot it. You boot it towards the goal as opposed to, and I'm going to use an extreme example here, uh, to the Spanish style of death by a million passes where you're passing the ball constantly, keeping possession, uh, and, and the ball never seems to actually go close to the goal, you know, where it needs to be. Uh, it, it is the, it, the English route one style is, uh, is very much like the Murphy's law of football where accidents, uh, are oftentimes how goals actually happen. And for accidents to happen, you know, in terms of goals, like the ball actually has to be close to the goal in yeah, so some way, shape or kick form. It, t- kick it towards the big guy up front. And He's going to turn his back to the goal. He's going to try to take it off his chest or his foot or his head or whatever. And by the way, uh, a CFC example of this, of how we played with a aerial target man, was Ian McGrath. True. As a 10, but and sometimes Sean Hofstad are as a 10 in the same way. But like, yes. But like, that's that that's that nine position. Like if, if you don't want to pass the ball a thousand times in midfield and defense or think or worse gonna, or think you're going to lose it or worse you can't yeah or but if you think you're going to lose it then the best thing to do is to have some tall fucker up front that you just hurl the ball at and you hope for the best and by the way this is a legitimate strategy and it's not a bad one if you have the right type of players to do it so yes all, I, mean, all strategies I mean look are, you, you, you know, look at you look at the the fall that CFC had with with Darwin out wide and Ian McGrath coming from the 10, like very, very inventive system, and becoming the target guy and then flicking it on to somebody, right, from those positions. Like, we were very dangerous. I mean, you had... You had and very successful. Two of the three of, of Beamet, Zeka, and and Darwin, all playing the forward positions a little bit differently, two of them at the same time. And then McGrath kind of joining in to be the target 10. Which, we, by the way, target 10 is a thing that only exists on this podcast and CFC 2020. <laughs> yeah. It, it's and, real. It's real. But and like, unless Nick Spielman was, was was playing as the, uh, is playing as the target. Sir, sure, that's a luxury ten. <laughs> that is a luxury ten, Nick Spielman. You shut your mouth. Oh man, bless. Anyway, so that's that's kind of the target man, uh, and I think it's important to know. And I, I think we'll go ahead and talk about players like this right now. Uh, if you're thinking about CFC and a target man, we didn't we didn't have a true one, in my opinion. Uh, like we had players that that were asked to do a job. Brian Beamett was asked to do a job, multiple jobs along the way. Uh, Zeka was asked to do it at times later in his career. We yes, we used a we used a ten or two tens really in in Ian McGrath and sometimes Sean Hofstadter to do that role as well. Uh, because we didn't have a true target target nine. Uh, we asked Sean to do it when we were playing him as a nine. Uh, and I think we've talked about on this podcast, actually. Uh, I think in the episode that you actually clipped uh, at the beginning, that Sean was, was much better as, as a 10 uh, with the game in front of him versus the game behind him or the goal behind him. He was not a back-to-goal player. Um so you've like we, we haven't truly had since Chris O'Chain since Chris O'Chain or I would argue Ian exactly the way Fuller depo- uh, put Ian out there deployed Ian McGrath was yeah. like a really 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 effective like target nine position from a player coming from the 10 which yeah. is why it's so like hard but because we ha- don't have another player to explain it with yeah actually since Chris O'Chain and 
whose last season was 2015. <laughs> like, yeah. Or 2014, 2015, no, 15, right? It was 15. 2015. Like, that's the last time we had a player that with those attributes, truly. Yeah. I mean, like, you could argue, you look at Danny Whitehall, right? Who looked like he had the physical tools to be that holdup guy. Max Wilshere. Max Wilshere also, kind of also looked like he, those guys did not play the forward position that way. Wilshere was a channel runner. Uh, and, we, and we only truly saw it uh, maybe in, in the Real Batiste game. Because we played with too much of the ball and but, everybody but, bunkered. Because we, we were so possession-focused and everyone bunkered. Because of just the players that we happened to have, that was the best way to play. Uh, you look at uh, Danny Whitehall, I'd call him more of a poacher. Yeah, so let's talk about what a poacher is. Okay. We talked a lot about the target man, and we talked a little bit about the channel runner, but let's talk about the po- let's go. Let's start, let's go back to poacher, and then we'll talk more about some of these positions. Sure. Uh, for me, a poacher is a kind of player that has is not necessarily good at anything else other than when the ball comes to them in the box, they can bang it home with regularity. Uh, and, and this is not like I'm not shitting on the qualities of, of players that happen to be happen to be poachers like, oh, you, you know, you can't hold the ball up or you can't aren't willing to run the channels or anything like that. It's just like a you're really good at maybe at one thing and like you're okay at some other things, but you're really fucking good at one thing and that's putting the ball in the back of the net. And also being in the right place at the right and time. And being in the right yeah, there's way more to it than just like standing around and, and looking pretty and hoping for the best. Like you've got to you've got to look and, and know where the ball is going to end up, where the rest of your teammates are, uh, and how and how that flow is going to happen. Is there a run from one of your teammates that's gonna uh put the a center back out of position? That allows you to take two steps to the right or two steps to the left, so that when the ball fall, falls to me, falls to you, not only do you have uh, the ability to hit it either first time or or, or settled or whatever, uh, and, and and put the ball on target, but also you have the right angle to put the ball on target from. Uh, I mean, it's way more complicated than just stand around and wait for the ball to come to you, but that's the way it looks sometimes when you're watching. When you're watching a game and ten players are playing with the ball, uh, and I'm including the keeper in the scenario, and then like all of a sudden the ball falls to the nine and the nine scores. There's a there's a certain like poetic justice when the same play, not maybe justice may not be the right word, but same like there's a poetic thing when a, a, the same player pops up, the ball takes a weird bounce, and then that player pops up every single time yeah. to hit it in. Or maybe not every single time, but much more often than everybody else. They just know where it's going before it's going there. Or they know that the, they're somehow there when the ricochet happens off it, the keeper. It, it's, the, it's the striker's sense. It's the fox in the box. By the way, like there's an easy comparison here for, for CFC. It's Marcus Nagelstad. Who does the ball... Like, a San Diego player literally kicks it off his teammate inside the six. Who does it fall to? And Marcus Nylestad. And who knows it's where it's going to go before the entire rest of the right. building does? You're just, wa- just waiting there, waiting for this thing to happen. Uh, who does the ball fall to in the in the box at Maryland? Marcus Nylestad. And, and who and, has the who has the patience and the and the whatever to put it where it's supposed to go in all the circumstances? And by the way, he's got to set. I'm thinking about the Maryland goal right here. Like he's got to settle that ball. It is cold, it is wet, it is slippery. It just took a wicked deflection and was not where it was supposed to be. And he's got to settle that thing down and then put the exact... He's got to curl it around a guy, like beat the keeper with it. Like That's an incredibly tough move, but that is that is all the hallmarks. And even both of the uh, the San Diego one at home that I mentioned, like that's a first-time hit. Like that, like that ball is spinning. Like That's not easy to do. That takes incredible amounts of skill. 
And it is, yeah, like Mark, Mark is, is, is a quintessential poacher. Like you, you don't want to ask him. He'll, 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 he'll do the work if you ask him to try. But he is not a target man back to goal number nine. He is not a guy you want looping a ball over the top to go chase, like running the channels. He's a, he's a poacher. He's, he's a goal scorer. His job is when the ball falls to you, he's got to be the one to put it in the back of the net. And he did so 20 times last year. Like, I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think there's another, there is another world in which you can play Marcus as a second nine. And we haven't talked about a second nine, but a second nine would be somebody who's not the quintessential target nine. They're not your big body who's going to go up there. But oftentimes you play one of those big bodied guys yeah. alongside of another guy, a tall and small. And it's it's not as much in vogue now. But there was a period of time where the three five two yeah. was running ramp, just running rampant throughout the world. Or, or whatever that term is, and roughshod maybe. <laughs> yeah, anyway, roughshod. The, it was running through world soccer, and you had like, everybody wanted the small and a tall. Think, you think wanted, about Romelu Lukaku and uh, Lautaro Martinez. Martinez at Inter just a couple seasons ago. And look, it's not a perfect comparison because you know Lautaro and 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 Marcus are not exactly the same player, right? But you have one one player who's bigger and stronger next to a more technical, smaller player. And Marcus isn't super small, so it doesn't yeah, perfectly yeah. work out. But you could play him as a second nine. And here's why that I like that as a, as another comparison is if a second nine is somebody who is not who maybe does play the nine, which Marcus does play the nine for us. He plays the lone striker. Yeah. But he doesn't do it the way a traditional nine would do it. But he distributes the ball. You look at what did he have this year? How seven primary assists? Seven primary assists. That is that kind of distribution only comes from a very creative player who you can't. I don't think you can call if we're looking at these. You can't call Marcus the target. Does he run the channels? Yeah, but that's not his game. Like he does. Does he get on the back shoulder of a guy and try to like keep him honest? Yeah, sure. But yeah. like again, you're not lumping the ball over top and going, "Hey, Marcus, go go beat that guy who has two steps on you." Like that's not that's not his game. You're a poacher. Yeah, definitely false nine. We haven't got to. But second nine is another another position you could offer for him. And that second nine, a lot of times, did provide a lot of assists. And I think that would yeah. kind of describe some of his qualities as I well. Mean, I mean, th- I think, he, so he led, uh, he was second place on the team uh, in 2021 in assists. I think he had eight uh, behind I've, behind Kasek's 10. Behind James Kasek, the winger left back. Yeah. And, and I think arguably, whether we were playing Marcus as one of two, or if we were playing Marcus as the left side, uh, of like there was a striker and there was kind of two players underneath him and, and Marcus was usually the left-sided player underneath the nine in in the system depending on if we were playing three four three or uh, three five two he was he was kind of more of a second a second nine in, in both of those scenarios and and you saw that I mean eight eight assists right there uh, kind of kind of makes your point I'm thinking about a second nine you don't see it you sometimes see it all all at the same time and then you don't for a while like soccer systems go through go through phases. But I, I mean, I would look at the world cup and, and think about, and this isn't like a perfect comparison for reasons I'll mention, but you look at, look at France. Um, Olivier Giroud was the target man for France uh, playing up front for majority of that tournament. And Antoine Griezmann, Griezmann would be considered the second striker uh, kind of playing underneath him. Now, a weird thing that happened is that offensively Griezmann was that, uh, was that second striker? That's that second nine. Defensively, Griezmann actually <laughs> almost went into all. Uh, he was kind of a ten, but sometimes it would drop into a flat, a flat midfield, uh, and so Griezmann would be end up very, very, very deep. Uh, 
and and I I mostly just think that was because France needed to defend with more than you know eight players. I mean Griezmann, I w- Mbappe and Giroud weren't defending. Griezmann, so. I would argue, is a pretty prototypical like second nine. Like he doesn't always play with two with yeah. another nine, but like he is that smaller guy, like who is very technical but not going to win a bunch of physical duels. Yeah, but is going to score a bunch of goals. You can also argue that he had the best World Cup of any player. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm including Kylian Mbappe and Leo Messi, who both had you know more goals, uh, but like the totality of performance from Griezmann in the, in the World Cup was unbelievable. And I think a lot of the reason why France was successful, uh, as successful as they were in the tournament, with playing with like their C-string midfield, by the way, was he was a second strike striker on offense, and he was a center midfielder on 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 defense. Yeah, I'll give a couple of poacher examples while we're talking about the World Cup. I would argue Lewandowski kind of played the poacher role um, this World Cup. Not that Lewandowski can't do some other things, but he he wasn't getting a lot of service. Yeah, he was not getting a lot of service at all. And he, he might have been a poacher by just fact of how Poland were, ended up playing. And at this point in his career, like Lewandowski can kind of do it all, but he's 35. Like yeah. what he is elite at is being in the right place at the right time. And making the right pass and taking the right shot, which is not that different from how Marcus played last season in, in our offense. Another player who did not have a good World Cup, but I would argue is also the poacher version, was Ronaldo. Yeah. Now Ronaldo had a pretty poor World Cup. It's just he's just not he's just not good anymore. But if you put him in a different system, he could have been much better because his best attributes are being in the right place and trying to finish. Yeah. And Portugal don't play in a way that gets him shots. Right. Which is why they were better off without him. I, I would argue the only system you can play him in is kind of like that Spanish system where he's just the nine. He's not asked to do anything else. He's just like be in the box and don't run because you're not good at it anymore. Just be in the box. And eventually after, you know, a thousand passes, one will come to you at you know uh, at around the penalty spot, and all you have to do is direct that thing on goal, and, and it's kind of decent at that still. And it's kind of why we wanted to see him at Manchester City last year. Yeah, it would have been fun. He uh, yeah, if it's before he went to United. It yeah, would have been it, fun to it, see if he had Ronaldo to, at the nine as just a straight up poacher for Manchester City when they when they generate all sorts of shots for their number nine, which we've seen Erling Holland just feasting on. Yeah, and Holland, Holland's an interesting one because. Like what? What really is he? Like he's sometimes target man. He's sometimes poacher. He's sometimes run the channels kind of guy. Okay, like, so look, we could he also add, might just be the best all round complete forward in the world, and like so, like that I, might be its own category. So we didn't add that as a category in part because like if you add up all the other categories, you just get that right. Most players don't have that, so it's like not fair to like add that as a category because it's just like who's the best forward in the world? Well, it's <laughs> Erling Holland because he's you know. Six foot four and an absolute freak of nature. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I I would argue that he is mo- more than anything, he is a run the channels nine. In, and by that I mean, he and we haven't really talked so, so much about run the channels. So here's, here it is. We talked a little about Joao Costa. When Joao played the, the nine instead of the winger, he, he was getting, hey, let's either kick it long to me or pass it on the ground through the defense in it getting me deep into the preferably on the backside of the center back. I yep. am cheating and trying to get like just inching my way to, towards the offside line 
so that when you pass the ball, hopefully I'm beating the opponent to the ball and I'm ahead and into space because I'm super fast if I'm Joel Costa. That is Erling Holland. You can also argue that this was, uh, and 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 the uh, <laughs> I'm actually putting this together now. The uh, the CFC connection here. You could argue that's Brett Jones uh, for the month of the months of, of March and April, in uh, at CFC 2022. Like that was that was the design. You bring the defense up, pass, 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 pass. Bring the defense up. You've got a wide creator or, or a wide ten there, kind of a kind of a wide ten, maybe a wide forward in in, in Taylor Gray, and you know a bunch of midfielders that can keep possession, that can pass really well between lines and gaps, do all these things. You invite the defense up, and then all of a sudden Brett Jones, you know peels off the back shoulder of a center defender and they slip a ball between the lines. Uh, and, and and we saw this happen a couple times. He was able to create some one-on-one chances with the keeper that unfortunately he didn't put away. Uh, but like that's, that's exactly what, what we were, what we were trying to do with, with Brett Jones as the, the lone nine in, in the yeah. old, in the olden days, find the space and get deep. That's the run the channel yeah. sign, right? Find the space between the, Preferably between the center backs or between the right back and the left back or right back and center back or left back and center back. And we say and, find and, the space. and we say channels because oftentimes that space uh, shows up uh, kind of in, in the place where you think the left center back or the right center back in a back four would be. Because uh, like, you know, goalkeepers in the middle, if you're looking at it kind of pasted on a board, like goalkeepers in the middle, left and right center backs are are wider and then the outside backs are wider than that. You're trying to run the space between center back and outside back because that's where it's most often going to show up. Why the cha- run the channel kind of guy can run the space kind of between the center backs. It's just not as often there. Bad things have happened for a de- for the defense if that space all of a sudden shows up. But that space between the right back and the right center back, that space is more often open and that's where you get a lot of your run the channels. Yes, especially for, you- especially if an outside back is is trying to defend a winger or or something like that so they're occupied. And when Mbappe plays a 9 for PSG, you see him you see those through passes through those center backs whether it's in the center or out wide to him you see Erling Holland get deep you see you saw Brett Jones try to get deep yeah yeah it's definitely a very dangerous thing um the one thing we haven't so we've talked about poacher we've talked about a second nine a little bit we've talked about the run the channels nine and the target man the false nine Matthew yeah this is an interesting one because it's a hard one false nine is oftentimes less about an individual player and more about a system. Um, it's the, the genesis of the false nine is basically we have all these players uh, and all these other positions, but we don't really have a true striker, whether it's a run the channels nine or a target man or whatever. They just don't have one or not one that's good enough. And this is a uh, often Spanish uh, I well, de- Spain Spain made it popular in 2008 and 2010, right? Where Cesc Fabregas, a central midfielder, a eh, 2012, we still had David Villa back in the early days. But Cesc Fabregas is like the most like I don't want to yes. say iconic version of it because Messi obviously was like the original quote unquote. If you listen to people who talk about Pep Guardiola and like whatever else, yeah, yeah. But like ha- playing a literal eight, ten in his a ten when he was young, then became an eight, then became a six, yeah. Like a six at the nine. Right. As a midfielder, and then like having them occupy space until he would just magically vanish. Yeah. So so the concept of the false nine is uh that you just play another midfielder there 
who is only there to occupy the center backs and then all of a sudden tries to draw the center backs out towards the midfield because they would come deeper to get the ball and and the other midfielders or wingers or however they're going to play it are trying to also at the same time as the center backs step forward the other players uh, are trying to run in behind and you're trying to catch teams that are uh, in that kind of weird kind of transition phase so they don't know they don't know who's coming and they don't know who's going right because normally if you're thinking about playing against a 4-3-3, you have, if you're thinking about CFC this year, Marcus in general, he dropped some deep. He, he liked to flare out wide and get space. But in general, he was in the middle of the field towards the top of our of our formation. Yeah. If, if you imagine him being there and then dropping all the way in, I mean, regularly dropping into like where Richard Dixon is. Yeah. Because he's going to get the ball. Or he's going to drop into start playing in the midfield and then staying in the midfield and then randomly reappearing up top and then staying in the midfield. So that oftentimes, normally also, as a center back, you would be like focused on the player who's near you and guarding them and normal. And then as soon as they disappear, you're like, what am I doing? Oftentimes that player, there would like a replacement midfielder would move in kind of the, into the nine position to occupy the center backs. Sometimes it would be one of the outs, like maybe the one of the wingers move into that position. But one of the features of, of that system is Sometimes no one moves into that place, and, and then, the center backs don't know what to do. Yeah, and believe it or not, it was for even for like long season professionals, it's extremely confusing to not have a player anywhere near you when yeah. you're when there's normally a player around, and then there's an overload. There are more players in another area of the field doing something that is unexpected because yeah. there's more numbers in that part of the field, and then those players would get caught out whether they were like stepping out or not paying attention or trying to guard someone they shouldn't have been trying to like face up and it yeah. became it it kind of came and went i'm not saying it's not it doesn't still happen because people still talk about it a lot anytime you have a player that isn't a target nine the lazy way to analyze it is to say like they're playing with a false nine yeah and that's not true like yeah there are there are people who out there would be like marcus is playing the false nine if he's dropping deep to get the ball at all and that's not that's not at all true it's when it like that is a player dropping deep to get the ball is just a function of being a player, but if that player is consistently and repeatedly, or is just not a number nine, and is and is as a function just staying deep and playing the midfield, that that false nine is a, a very very interesting tweak, and it's something that we see Messi do it yeah. in the modern day. We've seen, we've seen, um, and, and he's kind of the original like popular popularization of it when when he was at Barcelona and Pep um, deployed him as the false nine, and he still will do it in some games, whether it's for Argentina or for. Not so much for PSG anymore, but for Barcelona, he did it a bunch off and on. And then, like you said, David Villa did it. Cesc Fabregas did it. David, David Villa, I, I would argue that Spain and, and Barcelona didn't do it really when David Villa was was at his at his peak. Just because, yes, he was like 5'7 and did some of the same things at times. But also, like, David Villa wanted to stay near the goal because he was also really good at, you know, shooting the ball. He was also a, a left winger. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and now, so if you're if you're listening to this and you're wondering, well, that's really interesting. Like, why does why do teams not play with a you know in a false nine system regularly? Like, why is it not popular? It's because unless you were really fucking good at it, you're going to be absolutely abject offensively. So I would I would also argue that like one of the reasons that Messi is the example used five different times is when you drop Messi into any part of the field, your team just becomes much much better. Messi and would be a really good left back. Yes, correct. <laughs> Uh, whenever wherever he drifted and created the overload, 
made it really unexpected because they, they thought there should be somebody there and there wasn't. And then he just made you better. Yeah. And that's what made, I think, the, the Spain-Fabregas thing so wild. Yeah. I, I think about it. There were really two, and I'm not, I'm not saying there were full-on two false nine systems happening at this World Cup because there weren't. But if you think about two teams that like, underperformed, uh, especially in a historical context, and maybe for just the players they have in general, you look at Spain and you look at Germany. Spain didn't have, unless Alvaro Morata was, was the nine, uh, Spain didn't have like a true number nine of any sort playing. The number nine was Marco Asensio, who's 10 slash seven. You know, he's a, he's a winger or yeah, he's a 10. Had, or, they had no reference point. So they had so they had no reference point. That's a really good way of putting it. They're that. kind of what happens when a false nine goes... They weren't necessarily playing a true false nine, but they're kind of what happens when a false nine goes wrong. Right. It looks like what happened to Spain outside of... You, they, and, like, so you see it, like... you know, When, they, when they Spain dom- wasn't going well. They dominate possession. Like, they... I mean, they passed the ball, like, a thousand times against Costa Rica. Literally a thousand. To be fair, the Costa Rica game went pretty well for them. Sure, but, like, look at some of the other games, and, like, they still passed the ball nearly a thousand times. Uh... You know, they just pass, 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 keep a bunch of possession, but there's there's just no real penetration. Oftentimes when you have a false nine and you're not you're not just incredibly good at that system, it becomes easy to defend because you just tell the center backs, does not matter where that false nine is going to go, don't go with them, stay back, keep the game in front of you. And if they never are able to get in behind you, if they're never able to, because you have numbers behind the ball, they're never really able to destabilize you in the middle uh, or destabilize you at all. The game's always in front of you. And if the game is in front of you from a defensive perspective, it's really hard to score. It's it's a lot like it's a lot like the Michigan Stars philosophy that uh that they rode to a, a NISA championship this year. They tried to, especially a team like us, who would have so much of the ball. Uh, and when we were not uh when we were not effective offensively. It's not like we lost, you know, we, we didn't have as much possession as as before. Maybe maybe not quite as much. Maybe it was sixty percent as opposed to sixty nine or seventy percent of possession. But we were passing a lot without necessarily penetrating, getting deep, getting uh, destabilizing the defense a lot, and uh and and like that's those two styles are very 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 different. I look at in the World Cup, uh, Germany with Thomas Müller playing as as the nine, Thomas Muller is, he's like 6'2", he's, he's a big guy, but he's like this weird second striker, false nine, kind ten. of some, sometimes like wide 10 playing right wing. He's not that different from Griezmann, by the he way. He is, yeah. He's just, he's just he's a lot just, bigger. He's freakishly tall, yeah. He, but like he's not a, he's not a tactical number nine. Uh, and, and he pl- tried to play the way that he always plays. And by the way, he's a world-class player. Let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, but Germany didn't have that focal point unless they were playing Falkenberg, uh, who's hey, brand new. That to the is national team. that is the definition of a big motherfucker. Yeah, that is a big fucker that throw up there. And by the way, when, once they every time they subbed him in, it seemed like they got better. Yes, correct. Uh, and y- you have to be you have to be really really good with the false nine if you're going to be successful. And that's why a lot of teams don't play it. I would also posit that, um, and well, I don't I don't, I don't I, have the players for it. I don't have the stats to necessarily back this up, but I think the false nine works when it's a method of surprise, when the opponent is not expecting, when they're expecting a focal point and then suddenly it's a false nine. And so your center backs are out of sorts because they were preparing for one thing and they got another thing or there's some other wrinkle, but in general, like name a team that currently, 
and or that has over the past like five years regularly just played with a false nine. Like it was Man City the last couple years because they off and on because they didn't have. I mean, they played Bernardo Silva at the nine a little bit. They played Phil Foden at the nine. Played Phil Foden at the nine final, which was a mistake. But like that didn't necessarily work, I would argue. And you look like they exploded as soon as they got a world class number nine. But a part, it wasn't that like the false nine is a superior way to play. It's that it's a tactic that can work really well in yeah. certain situations. But I would argue is flawed overall because otherwise you would see teams play with a false nine as a choice all the time, and you just don't see that. Yeah, maybe I'm I'm trying to do some thinking here. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit of Liverpool with Roberto Firmino. Uh, yeah, good point. To it to a small degree, like he does other things as well. He is he's more of a second nine yeah. that also tr- does drop deep a lot a lot a lot. Yeah. And, play, and he's also play, trying play, to intentionally play, combine with wide forwards because they play with two wide forwards, not usually with wingers or previously they didn't play with wingers as much. Sadio Mane and um Mosala were much more forwards than wingers. Inverted wingers at if you want to make them wingers, but they're, they're wide forwards. And then you had Roberto Firmino who is not a classic number 9 who would drop in but those two would penetrate that space. And like, but I would still say he wasn't really a truly a false nine. But I, I would agree that's kind of like the modern version of the false that, nine. That's about as close as you get to a, re- a regular false nine these days. And he's not really, but that's that's where we are. All right. A couple more fun players from this World Cup. Woot Weghorst. Big Woot. Ah, target man. Target man. That is the definition of a big target man. Six foot six. Came in and wrecked that game. Yeah. And more than that, but just that Argentina game, he wrecked that game by being an insanely large human and really tough to guard because he was so big. Um, Julian Alvarez. Uh, Alvarez was tasked with doing literally everything that Leo Messi did not want to do. Play play defense, Julian Alvarez. Uh, Run the channel, Julian Alvarez. Be the second striker, Julian Alvarez. Or be the the striker, Julian Alvarez. (laughs) Be a poacher and just be ready for whenever Leo Messi does magic and you can tap it in. Yeah, so sometimes he was asked to... I, I, I would put him in the run-the-channel category if I had to. Uh, and I think you see that for Man City when he plays alongside of Erling Holland as a second striker or run-the-channel striker, depending on what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Richarlison. Run-the-channel striker. He oftentimes will play as... Uh, Depending on how, uh, and I'm using his his Spurs days from this season uh, after his transfer from Everton. Uh, depending on, on like how you want to classify him, is is do Spurs play with wingers uh, when it's like the two the two underneath Harry Kane, like so, usually Sonny and and Dejan uh, Kulaveski. I would actually call both of those guys wide forwards because uh, like they're kind of playing underneath. They're sometimes wide. They're sometimes central. Uh, and Emma Charleston fits in really, really well with that. Uh, but for Brazil, he was he was their main nine, and oftentimes that meant running the channels, scoring bicycle kicks, scoring bicycle kicks. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a wild boy. Um, Messi in this World Cup. Uh, I think you got to put Messi in kind of that Erling Holland category that we kind of made earlier, which is just like goat, <laughs> like. He ostensibly was a right winger in this World Cup. Uh, Angel Di Maria on the left wing, Julian Alvarez is the striker, and Leo Messi is the as the seven. In reality, Messi did whatever the fuck Messi wanted to do. Sometimes that meant being a second nine. Sometimes that meant 
uh, being a wide 10. Sometimes that meant being an inverted winger. Sometimes that meant taking three minutes of defending just off. Messi does what Messi wants to do. By the way, and, quite a bit of like, defending, quite a bit of defending in the final too. Oh yeah, that's he saved it all for, for the uh, for the uh, Netherlands game and for the uh, for the final. Yeah, I, I just don't think sometimes you can't He's, sometimes put like some of the just the best players in the world that do things differently than everybody else into a category. Uh, and Messi probably is is that kind of player. I agree. I agree. It's also one of the things that makes him, you know, the best player to ever play the game. I think one more fun note here um, before we kind of wrap this bad boy up or get ready to wrap this bad boy up is Zeka. Ze- over Zeka's career, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, we saw Zeka as a channel runner kind of earlier on in his career. We saw him as a wide forward sometime yeah. towards the middle of his career where he was a goal-scoring wide forward. Maybe even a wide 10. Maybe even a wide 10. We saw him as a target man a little bit later on in his career. Definitely as a poacher where he would just pop up and score. Yep. And we that's a player that we saw kind of over his CFC career, the all-time CFC appearance leader, score not only a lot of goals, but score goals in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And play as as crazy as it was, play as an eight, play as a winger, play as an actual out-and-out I'm, forward. He's played, he's played, I would I would have to guess, the nine, the 10, the seven, the 11, the eight, all in his career. Yeah, 100%. Like, do you want to talk about the definition of an attacking band? And I'm pretty it's sure he played right. Just five seconds. I'm pretty sure he played right wing back as well. He did. He did actually. Yeah, that that did happen. It's it's crazy. So, um, let's say a couple things. This season we've already talked about ad nauseum. We won't repeat it, but we played with we started with tens and then we transitioned to wingers. We believe, but we don't know that next season we'll play with wingers again. But who knows? We might play with tens. We might go back to the tens Christmas tree. That yeah, we saw, where, yeah, where if, your if wingers, you, where your wingers play as tens, and your eights are still eights. If if you if you're listening to this, uh, and it's still 2022, uh, and you're wondering like, hey, that's kind of weird. They haven't talked about any any players or, or roster news or anything like that. We're gonna get to it uh, at at recording time. We have seven players, so like, we're just gonna put a lot of those things off until we have enough to really talk about. There's a reason we talked a lot about Marcus and Taylor in this episode because <laughs> those guys we can talk a lot about because one, they were here last season. It's easy to talk about them. We know a lot about them. But number two, they're both coming back. Right. We don't have a lot of players outside of those. That's uh, like 20% of the team currently. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll cover some. No, sorry, like 30% of the team currently. We'll, we'll cover some things uh, in in a future episode, uh, especially as we get a little bit more news uh, on that front. Uh. And, and and we'll postulate personnel as policy on this podcast and in in life, and we will we will talk about uh, what kind of policy we think will will be the the norm in twenty twenty three once we have a better idea of what the personnel is going to be. I have one more question for you, Matthew. Um, how did the nine play in Rod Underwood's system? Uh, I think I would I would take you to uh, the OG system with with tens and not wingers, and it would be run the channel nine uh, in the. Uh, in the in the winger system with Marcus up top, I just call it a poacher. And we created we created some, he created some, and we just scored goals. Yeah, I think that's why I think we'll see the same thing again. Uh, but we'll see. I, I just think the personnel is policy. And if you get Taylor and Marcus back, you have two of your three starters up top. I I think it part of it's going to depend. And we, we said we're going to we're going to talk about players, and here we are. Uh, I think part of it depends on what. Does the outside outside back situation look like? 
what does the center midfield situation look like? And uh, is Damien going to step into the role as the right winger or the right side of 10, whatever you want to call it, like that type of position, the, the ostensible most of the season Brett Jones role. Is that Damien's role? Uh, is there another player they're looking at that they view as the starter with Damien taking, helping take minutes from that, from that side and from Taylor Gray? Is there something else that we don't know about? I think all of those things will, will affect uh, what the nine is going to be asked to do. Matthew, we have a game in about uh, a month and a day. Yep. Which is pretty crazy. Uh, CFC Women's Tryouts. Yes. Coming up. So those tryouts are in February. If I'm remembering correctly, the 18th. Uh, I believe. But you're going to pull that up right now and make sure we're right. Are the 18th, yes. So if you know a potentially deadly CFC Women's player, she can try out. Open tryouts on the 18th of February. Yeah, the, the minimum age is 16, by the way. Okay. Uh, it's we, we want to make sure that, that young women, still in high school, doesn't matter, uh, have the opportunity, and, lo- and local especially, have the opportunity to play for this team. Yeah, this is huge. There, are, there have been men's players who have made it out of open tryouts. Not been a lot, but there's been some that have made it to the first team. There's been a quite a few have made it to invite only tryouts, which is your real chance to make the team yeah. from open tryouts. And I want to see a bunch of CFC local fans, hopefully fans, who grew up rooting for this team. And we saw it this year a little bit um with Anna Silva and a few others. But like I want to see like girls come out for this team who are local and who have who have grown up watching CFC and who can wear that like that crest with even different pride from somebody who just like comes to town and, and no sli- no, no shade to them. But like, if you, yeah. if you grew up here, I feel like it's a different thing. So, and, I'm, and even if I, I would also add, if, if you're, if you know someone that you're like, ah, oh, I mean, they're, they're probably like, they're just 16 years old. They're probably not good enough to, you know, to, to play a lot of minutes on the team. Also remember, like if you're a strong local, even not just high school age player, this is also a good opportunity to get regular reps against players that are better than you that are that are a little bit older a little bit more experienced it's a great opportunity for stuff like that stuff that can take a good high school player or even a great high school player and turn them into uh a future pro a, a future pro yeah i mean we, look which at, is look at damien look at fabian yeah i mean damien's the the shining example because he's playing a lot of first team minutes for the men but like there, there's fabian there are there's hugo who played for us this year there's giuseppe different situations right but guys who got minutes mostly in practice who grew in their career and who were able to be like playing with the first team as younger players. And those players can be there on the women's side as well. There are some, it's something like 20 players. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to include players that actually I, I might players that went professionally with CFC. If you include that, the number of players that played for CFC men as an amateur, um, and and then include all the ones that have gone pro. You were probably looking at two dozen players. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a strong amount. Uh, players were playing for, for for different teams, whether it be in in, in uh, USL. Uh, we had a former CFC amateur play. You know, couple play in MLS. Uh, several have played professionally in Europe. Like we want this to be a springboard. We want this to be a jumping off point. We are it's an amateur women's team. 
and like and that's great we want to go out and we want to win games and represent the city and do all these things but also we want to prepare players for the next step in both their careers and in life and there is never it's never been a better time for a career in uh in women's professional football and there's investment in and especially in the european side of the game there's growing investment in the u.s side of the game there's a wolfsburg connection here locally there's a wolfsburg connection here locally like there's there's some really good opportunities and and we want to yeah encourage everyone to come out there'll be it'll be a good time absolutely thanks everybody for listening catch you later